Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Borough Market Podcast, featuring the second of Borough Talks, the summer series of public debates presented by Borough Market, which explores some of the most interesting and important issues relevant to today's food world. In this episode, we're discussing the influence of the media and how it can help your food business. Food writer Sybil Kapoor leads a panel of experts from across media platforms, from television to Instagram. Before we meet the panellists, I ask some of the audience why they're here and what they're expecting from the evening. I was actually here for the previous talk on cookbooks, and I work in media and communications in the food industry. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of see how those things are coming together, and particularly what's influencing what people eat and what they think about what they eat. I have a food stall, and I'm interested in to see the talkies. And I have an Instagram account, and I think it would help me to get new followers. What's your business? <laughs> uh, it's called Agua na Boca. Agua na Boca, London. I sell Brazilian delicacies on the tree cycle. Perfect. You're hoping to learn something today. Uh, yes, I hope so. I'm here to help understand how social media can help my writing ambitions. Are you a food writer? Yes. I would describe myself as an embryonic food writer, having escaped the corporate slavery. Oh, nice one. Thank you. Did you? <laughs> I have ambitions of starting a food business, so I'm allergic to dairy and a number of other things, so there is a gap in my market, so I could do it. Your uh, it's, in theory, it will be pre-filled dairy and gluten-free pasta that you can buy in a supermarket. I just saw this online and thought it would be really interesting. Um, essentially, this one dragged me along and it looked really interesting, so um, what I think I'm getting out of it I'm going to learn about food and why we eat what we do, if it's not our explicit choice to do so. We um, have our own business called Marketing Foods, and we work with lots of artisan producers and chefs, and we're very interested to learn a bit more about how to further create awareness of those fantastic producers. Lovely. What are you hoping to get from the panel of experts tonight? A bit of exciting insight, a bit of fresh thinking. Susan Lowe, Deputy Editor of Delicious Magazine. How exciting to have you here. Um, what are you expecting from tonight? Well, these talks, I've been to quite a few of them. They're always really, really interesting. They've got a great panel. This one is, is more geared towards people, I think, who are in the business. So it's about what food media can do for your food business. So I'm not in the food business. I'm in the business about the food business. So I'm really kind of all ears to hear what people have to say. It should be a pretty good debate. And so to the panel of experts. Food writer and broadcaster Sybil Kapoor. Instagrammer Millie Kenny Ryder, food TV producer Pete Lawrence, winner of the 2016 series of The Apprentice Alana Spencer, and food historian Jane Levy. What do they think media can do for food? Personally, for me, I think what media can do for food is actually allow you to actually create ideas and really change the way people perceive food. So for me, it's a very empowering thing. It's something where you can put forward like seeds of ideas and opportunities for other people so they discover something new or they think about something in a new way. Well writing is always intrinsic to food culture, there's no question of that. And I think what's interesting also is actually that things like ebooks are declining printed books are increasing in sales and has a cookbooks. And obviously for me I see that as being the most important thing and that's what I love the most. I think that it spreads the word. Um, I think that it gives food uh, a platform to shine, really, um, visually. Um, and I think I think it allows people to interact over restaurants. You know, on Instagram, I see a post go up and then a few comments down. I see friends chatting about when they should go to that. I think it's amazing, really, with Instagram particularly, um, 
the kind of regram culture, which is that actually restaurants can organically get content if they have a beautiful project, product um, and they, they look on Instagram, they search their name, they will find other people posting beautiful photos of their food and they can then regram and use those photos, A, to, to show off beautiful content from their restaurant and also to interact with the people who are going to that restaurant and so you know, it's direct interaction with their customers. I think that unlike a lot of social media where everything is instant, television has the ability to unfold a story over time and and I think that television is going to change a lot over the next few years because of social media but it's going to be all about the story anybody can make you know, can shoot things beautifully and all the rest of it but there is something about the skill of the storyteller that makes the end product either good or bad and so whether it's on YouTube or television it doesn't matter but it all comes down to the, the skills of the storyteller or on YouTube just something that's really funny exposure is is everything um, I think good product is is key uh, and if you marry the two together then absolutely it can have a massive effect Pe- people are fickle and once you're off their telly boxes it's all down to you um, what you can can gain from from the small bit of, well I suppose in my case it was a large bit of exposure but um, yeah it's uh, it's six months now since the apprentice final and there's new people there's new people out there so it's down to me it's always been you know books or radio or TV depending on the era whatever medium we have for communicating is is what all our great food writers and cooks have, have taken advantage of to get messages out to all of us it's interesting if you look at um, very early cookbooks there's always the whole title page is a self-promotional tirade really you know I am Mrs. Whoever, who has worked for Lord so-and-so and has the best confectionery experience. So people are, have always really tried to, to sell themselves as an authority and, and sell their book at, as, as the, the place to find the truth. Kate Howell, Director of Communications at Borough Market, introduces this evening's facilitator, Sybil Kapoor. Hand you over to award-winning journalist and broadcaster Sybil Kapoor, who, in amongst her, I, I understand I'm allowed to say this, aren't I? She's uh, in the in the depths of writing uh, a new book, which we're all looking out for. But we're also extremely lucky that she's a regular contributor to Borough Markets, Market Life magazine, and uh, has found time to help us curate this series of talks this evening. Um, you're going to be in wonderfully safe hands. So have a great evening. Thanks for coming. Enjoy. And Sybil, over to you. Well, thanks very much, Kate, for the really kind words. I'm a bit embarrassed. Um, So now, luckily, I can pass it over now to the others and they can all get embarrassed. I'd like to offer a really warm welcome to both my wonderful panellists and also to all of you. Um, You know, these talks are always great fun and I hope we're going to have fun tonight as well. So this evening, we're tackling uh, what can only be described as an enormous subject. So we're only going to scratch the surface of this, but it is the subject of how the media works within the food world and how best you can utilize it. When I first started writing in the 1990s, the media um, could be divided into three areas of mass communication, and that is what the media is, mass communication. And it was the TV, the press, as a newspaper's published printed pages, nothing online then, and of course radio. Today, I don't think I'm alone in finding it both daunting and also very, very exciting how media is changing. It's changing at an incredible rate, and many of us can't even keep up with it, which is one of the reasons I wanted us to have this whole discussion. So... um, I think that everybody, whether you're a food producer, writer, a retailer, a chef, you need to know how to utilize the media. And so I'm going to introduce you now to our panelists. Each of them um, come from a different perspective on what the media is. Um, And I'm going to let them, in a funny way, sort of introduce themselves by asking them a leading question. So I'm going to start with Pete Lawrence. Now, Pete's worked in TV for um, 30 years. He doesn't look like it. (laughs) And uh, he's been a major influence in actually what we've been watching on our sets. Um, So, Pete, as a writer, 
uh, broadcaster and, of course, an award-winning TV program maker. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the cookery shows that you've produced, so who they've been and how they've changed over the years? And just to make sure it's a really big question, <laughs> um, also, what you look for when you want to create a new series, cookery series, for your company, Hungry Gap Productions? Okay, so... Um, uh I, as you say, I've worked in television for 30 years and um, don't just work in, in food programming, but I've done a lot of, of, of food programs. I tried to total it up earlier and it's over 250 hours of Whoa. food shows, which is... Um, that's, I've watched a lot of close-ups of onions being chopped over the years. And um, um, I've been lucky. I've worked with lots of sort of big names, um, sort of Nigella and Nigel Slater and, and so forth. Um, and I would say that, as you said, absolutely the industry is changing and has changed dramatically in that time. Certainly what was popular on television 30 years ago is very different to what is being watched now. What I'm looking for always is really, really good talent, really good food talent to put on television. And I think that um, finding people with something really interesting to say, something unique... Um, and something that's going to attract a broad audience is always um, at the top of my agenda for what I'm looking for. Um, and also, yeah, it's really people with interesting things to say, because I think that now the bar has been set so high. I mean, they talk a lot in television about, um, there's two phrases, one channel calls it chop and chat, and the other calls stand and stir, which I think <laughs> is more American. But those kind of shows are few and far between and I think that television is more demanding now and wants other types of show that are food related whether that be campaigns or whether it's food and travel um, or food and something else you know um, yeah because you've done people like the hairy bikers haven't you which is completely different in a way from standing and stirring yeah I mean they are kind of entertainment yeah. you know that's their that's their forte um but, uh, so yeah, so it's always just trying to find that next thing that's going to be a little bit different because there aren't many slots on TV and the competition is very high, so... So you're looking for new people, unknowns, or are you... Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, it changes all the time as to what, yeah. what people are looking for, but I think that's the really exciting thing, is can you either, either a new person, a new, you know, new television talent, or a new idea or a yeah. new way of doing food that's yeah. going to move things on a little bit? So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what Brilliant. I'm looking for. So, next person to introduce at the end is Millie Kenny Ryder. Um, now, Millie, ES has cited you as one of their top 10 foodie influencers. You have nearly, well, you have 13,500 followers on your Instagram account. Many of you may know Millie as thoroughlymodernmillie.com. And you've branched out over the years. You've You've done consultancies, you've gone into photography, you've done travel books, but you're really covering a lot of different areas of social media. Um, so I think my question, initial question for you is, can you explain how you first got into blogging and then why you moved into uh, sort of other areas like Instagram? Um, well, I guess I've always been a creative person, come from a very big creative family and um, studied music at university came back to London, kind of trying to get a job, thinking I wanted to do something creative. Very difficult, instantly thought, how am I gonna make money from this? So um, I got a boring admin role. Uh, it paid well, but it was completely uninteresting to me. And you know, my bosses would say to me, oh, when you're free, go on Facebook or you know, read a book. And I thought there must be something I can do that's slightly more interesting than going on Facebook. So I started a blog, which was quite a new medium at that point. It was about eight, nine years ago. Um, and I think the other people who were doing it were sort of doing it as a diary. And so I thought, okay, I will document the things that I'm passionate about in London on a blog. Um, and it started off very much as a kind of essays that I'd pour over and spend hours perfecting. Um, and then eventually I started writing every day, um, talking about fringe theatre shows or little pop-up food markets, um, kind of city breaks abroad. And yeah, it grew. I wrote for anyone I could. I just said yes to things. Um, I wrote for a while for Visit London and that sort of got my name out there. And gradually got more and more opportunities. 
And yeah, that was a long time ago now. But what, was it, what I found very interesting when I spoke to you was actually that with Instagram, you said you, you, you realized you wanted to get nice pictures and actually to sort of make people notice. And that meant that you actually learnt or taught yourself how to really photograph well. And that in itself led then on to something else. Yeah, I think Instagram came along sort of in a big way three or four years ago. And initially, like everyone else, I got an Instagram account to sort of post photos of my cats or, you know, my friends having a barbecue. Um, and I guess it was when I went traveling for five and a half months that I realized actually I could use this Instagram alongside my blog to represent what I'm doing in a more beautiful way and attract people in, in that way. Um, so when I went traveling, I started concentrating a bit more um, on taking good photographs. And yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Now I seem to take photos more than I write blogs. So. And actually, people actually pay you to go in and take photographs for them, which they then use. Is that correct? Is that, yeah, yeah. I, I work really hard on always only posting beautiful content and photos that I'm really proud of. Um, whereas I think lots of food Instagrammers will go in and just take photos of anything that they eat every single meal. But I prefer to take a, a story, um, well, share a story only if it's beautiful. So, um, so, so I, yeah. I kind of worked really hard on taking beautiful photos. And then people began to want me to create beautiful photos for them, I guess. And that's <laughs> where the money came in. Because <laughs> this is going to be a question that's going to come up later tonight, which is can you actually make a living through social media and things like that? But we will come back to that. <laughs> so... The next person, who I don't think really needs an introduction, is Alana Spencer. Um, she was the winner uh, of The Apprentice in 2016, and she's the founder of Ridiculously Rich by Alana. Um, so, Alana, you already had a business before you actually ever appeared on TV. Can you tell us a little bit about your working life before you entered The Apprentice? And describe whether your approach uh, to the media, including social media, changed after you won the show. 100%, yeah. So when I, um, I, before I went in The Apprentice, I started as a self-taught chocolatier. So I taught myself how to make chocolates. Um, and uh, my parents built an extension on the house. And basically, I was a grafter. So I'd make chocolates, and I'd go out at the weekend, and I'd sell them. Um, and... I actually applied for the junior apprentice when I was 17, so I knew the power that media would have um, in, in terms of growing a business. Um, so I think that was always, is always something that I wanted, um, but didn't get in and just carried on grafting away. In terms of social media, I did very little. Um, it, was, it was very much, if I did a social media post, it would be a picture of one of our cakes. And actually, we've had the same cakes. They're delicious cakes, but we've had the same cakes for quite a while now so the same pictures of cakes over and over um it, it was it how many things can you do with it exactly <laughs> um so social media was something I didn't really do so much and then got in the apprentice and uh, everything changed and I think when I when I left the apprentice I went back to my old thing of just posting the occasional um, picture of our cake, my cakes, and I spoke to Fran, who was actually one of the candidates in The Apprentice, and she was like, Alana, you need to put yourself in your social media, um, and that's what I've started doing now. I've tried to like put a bit of personality in um, in my social media, but in terms of media in general, I couldn't have imagined the effect. It was crazy overnight. Um, my business went from this little unknown business to. Um, I think five million people watched The Apprentice final, so it's, it's quite a lot of exposure. Um, and before that, it was known as Nana's, and um, Ridiculously Rich by Lana was the name we came up with on the show. And I had to use it, obviously. I couldn't not, um, not rebrand. Yeah. And I love the brand. I love the new yeah. brand. But it was hard to say goodbye to Nana's. Yeah. Um, so, absolutely, the media and social media is... Because one um, of the things, again, when we were discussing, um, you said that actually you needed to actually bring in consultants mm -hmm. to help you with the social media because it was such a big deal. I haven't done that yet. Oh, you haven't done that? <laughs> no, so I'm still doing it myself. Oh, okay. Um, but I've gone... so. 
I was, uh, basically the whole business model has changed. So when I went into The Apprentice, I think my final pitch was I want to take it to uh, supermarkets and I want to do this and that. And I sat down with Lord Sugar after I won and we came up with this business model of recruiting ambassadors. Mm -hmm. So basically having mini-me's across the country. Um, that's, all doing their social media. Yeah, so yesterday, yeah, so they've all now got their own yeah. social media page. So yesterday I trained these ambassadors um, and today I've had a million messages from them saying, asking question after question. So um, I've got two weeks until my social media manager comes on board. So I'm trying to do that and um, manage the ambassadors <laughs> at the same time. So there's a lot going on. But um, yeah, I, will, I am getting help. Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's really important. I've, it's taken me a while to choose the right person because yeah. I think it's really important that they get my personality and, and are still able to put that in. Yeah. And I'm not just going to say, okay, you do my social media now because... I have to put myself in it. And without yeah. me doing a little bit of that, that won't happen. Yeah. So our next guest is Dr. Jane Levy. And Jane is here really to give us balance and perspective as to what's going on, because we all get carried away. Um, Jane is an academic at, amongst other places, uh, King's College London. And she specialises in the history of food and, even more wonderfully in my mind, utopianism. Um, and I think you must have a very different perspective on the idea of mass communication in terms of the media. So my question for you is if you look back at the history of food, and you can limit this to the Europe if you want, because obviously it's a rather long history, um, have there been similar revolutions in mass communication? And how did they change our behaviour towards food? Obviously, we're just mm. talking about food. Okay. Um, well, it's a really interesting question, and I think it's interesting that you, you suggest that... Um, I have a very different perspective because I think I probably don't. Ah. Um, I just look at very similar things at human beings in history and often think, gosh, we haven't changed very much. So the media may have changed, yeah. but the messages and the desire to communicate with one another really yeah. hasn't. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that, um, you know, one of the moments where there was a huge explosion in um, communication about food was through cookbooks in the early 18th century when publishing became, um, it was cheaper to produce books, large quantities of them. Um, and there were lots of people who'd had jobs in private houses or claimed to have written for royalty, uh, cooked for royalty, who started producing cookbooks that the newly becoming wealthy middle classes would buy um, in order to understand what the opportunities were for them to cook in their kitchens. And in some ways, um, it's no different to what's happened in the, the 20th century as, you know, we're able to have more colour pictures or we're able to have um, a radio show that conveys um, what we can do or a TV programme. So... In many ways, we, we haven't changed at all. Yes. Um, and one of the things that I really, really struck a chord with me with um, what Alana was saying was um, this, this thing that with social media, you have to put yourself into it. And I think that's actually been the case in old media as well, um, that some of the more successful or more remembered historical figures... Um, are the ones who really had a very clear voice, um, like, you know, or, or had good marketing, like Mrs. Beaton. Everyone talks about Mrs. Beaton, although at the time there were other much, dare I say it, better cooks, more successful <laughs> who she lived from, like Eliza Acton um, and people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she took their stuff. Um, and, but they, you know, the promotional um, activities weren't, weren't in their long term favour. So, yes, yes. Hmm. No, I think, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Millie, so when I, I wanted to start with you, but everybody now join in whatever you want to say. That doesn't include you lot yet. Um, is, um, this is, an, again, an enormous question, and you can answer it as you like. How does the online world work, and in particular in relation to Instagram? Because it sounds to me like it's constantly changing and evolving. Yeah, I was going to say it's just changing almost every day. I feel like I go on holiday for a week and, you know, everything's different and there's a new th function to kind of grasp. Um, I guess it's different for everyone and every 
either individual or company, how you use it, what you decided to kind of focus on, because now there are so many different platforms, you know, it's impossible really to do all of them very well and be present on all of them unless you're giving up your life completely. <laughs> um, but for me, with um, Instagram, I think, um, how do I say it? I think it's a way of people communicating and in quite a, a focused way, maybe in a way that in a way that people haven't been able to previously. Um, it's not necessarily about who you know or um, who, you know who you've got the contact details for. It's about what you post and people having access to you without necessarily that that kind of reputation. Um, but do you think it's that people are aspiring to what you're? presenting to them is it that they want to you know live that life they see a beautiful plate of something or beautiful place you're staying or whatever and they think wow I yeah. want to be that I think I think there's a lot of that um I think people certainly in my world of Instagram there's kind of two routes there's the personal people posting on a beach and you know young girls thinking I want to look like that I want that bikini um and then there's a kind of aspirational lifestyle of, wow, I'd, I'd love to go to that restaurant or I'd love to take a photo like that. Because now, you know, I think restaurants are having to think about what their interiors are like or what their lighting's like if they're going to get people coming in and taking good photos that translate into return on investment, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And what about the idea that, because I've heard the saying that, and again, I'm really a novice about all social media, so... But what I'd understood was that actually some restaurants actually develop special dishes that they know are going to photograph brilliantly that's like a signature dish, but it's a photographic signature dish almost. Is sure. that true? Yeah, I think there's a kind of movement now of, of restaurants, certainly, whether it was intentional or not, wanting that dish. Um, and I think what usually happens is when a new restaurant comes out or a new menu comes out, a kind of select group of Instagrammers get invited, that dish gets shoved in front of them, everyone takes a photo of that particularly photogenic dish, and that becomes, you know, the dish that everyone wants when they go there. It's, it's kind of crazy, and there are people going to a specific restaurant just to try that one recipe because it's all, all over online. And so, as a leader, do you actually do the same thing or do you look for something else on that menu that you think actually that would be really catch people's eye or whatever so that you're um i think you can't help but be kind of a little bit inspired by people's yeah. delicious photos online i think um i will there are particular things that i love the taste of so i would always go for those on a menu yeah. over um a particular photo i've seen online but yeah i think i am influenced by it and um particularly now that going to a restaurant is just as much for me because of my job about getting a good photo as it is enjoying the food. Yeah, yeah. And it's allowed you to go into a, really another other profession, it's like consultancy, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, well, what was interesting is for about six years, I've been going to restaurants for free, which is obviously lovely, um, through my blog. I would, you know, Almost every night I'm out at a restaurant trying something for free and then I'd write it up on my blog and I'd post photographs. But once Instagram started growing for me, um, it became a paid job. It wasn't anymore about going to restaurants for free. It was about choosing what restaurants I wanted to go to and, and kind of accepting those offers. Or if I didn't want to go to the restaurant particularly, saying that I charge for my photographs because it's advertising for them. So it's fascinating. Does I think if we go to Pete, is, is it worth trying to get TV experience, do you think? I mean, in terms... I mean, you've got, you've got this whole thing of people sort of being paid to do shoots and things for their blogs and things like that. Is that changing how people are approaching getting TV exposure? I, I think that, um, as you said earlier, the, the landscape has changed so much in the, in the, in the last number of years. And I think that um, people probably know the, the, the famously quoted Delia effect when she mentioned a certain pan was being a little gem and the sales of the company went from 200 to 90,000 in something like four months. I think that, um, you, you know, the world has moved on since, yeah. since then. I think that television now is aiming towards a very broad audience and that... Uh, social media, I think, has got a very targeted audience. So I think in terms of business, potentially social media is 
is a much better way if you want to promote your business yeah. because you're going to have 80,000 followers or 10,000 followers or whatever that are into a certain brand. And if, you're, if your business fits into that brand, then you've absolutely got customers yeah. waiting. Whereas television really is a pretty passive viewing experience. It's, it's not... I've made a few shows where people have got engaged, but mostly people sit and watch it. Um, and I'm not sure that they sit and watch it in the same way that they did back in the day when there was, you know, Adelia program was on and there was only four channels and yeah, she yeah. said, buy this and everyone bought it. I don't think that works yeah. like that. But I think the converse of that in television is that, <clears throat> and what people sometimes don't understand, is that as a program maker, we are working under a set of rules. We have to work under the Ofcom rules and we are not allowed to promote things, yeah. you know, whichever channel we work on there is you know people should re read them you know there's you're not allowed to give undue prominence to brands you've got to make sure and sometimes people get that wrong when sometimes you know when you're making programs with people and they and they turn up and they're covered in their branding you automatically think as a program maker oh no we're gonna have to blur that we're gonna have to do that we're gonna have to cut around that so I think that in terms of marketing social media gives you a much more direct route to a very bespoke audience and maybe a targeted audience whereas television does give you mass appeal yeah. but you've got to go about it in a slightly different way I think I think you've got to be less overt about it and I think what's where television is interesting is that if you are really interesting and if you've got great things to say and if you've got a great story and if you've got great products or whatever people will remember that yeah. they might not necessarily be instantly liking you from their sofa yeah. but television also has quite a long tail so television programs will run for years and years and years on lots of different channels all yes. across the world and you don't really know how to quantify what benefit you're going to get from yes. that whereas with something like twitter or instagram you can instantly get some likes yeah <laughs> and then maybe it's over yeah exactly. five seconds later so but that's that's a generalization but i think that there is program makers definitely are, are under much more pressure um not to advertise yeah well Anna, you was, say the example you gave us upstairs yeah so for the apprentice for instance we i can't write anywhere that i won the apprentice on anything i because it was a BBC show so I can't use that to publicise but actually just following on from what you said um, my experience has been that um, with television when you're on their screens when you're on people's screens you're, um, you're everything you're the, the big thing at the time but it's so fickle. As soon as that programme's gone, you're old news. There's going to be a new There's going to be a new apprentice in a few months' time. Uh, well, in in a half a year, and um, there's only so much time that you've got to really use that exposure. Yes. Yeah. And but actually, with social media, if people click click that like button, if people click that follow button, they're buying into you. So that's more like you're part of their family, and, and it's more of a it's more of a together thing. Yes. Um, whereas telly, it's it's you know off the back of the final of The Apprentice, I did really well. My um, my app on my phone was going ching 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 um, from the online sales thing, and um, a few months on you know, that's gone. And now the sales that I make on my website are having to come from my hard work in yeah. marketing and putting myself yeah. out there um, because I'm forgotten about. So in other words, you have to do both. You have to do <laughs> yeah. as much as possible. And um, in your experience then, do you think that there are some forms of media or social media more effective than others? I mean, really what you're saying is both. Yes, uh, it's social media in terms of the different... Well, Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Types of social media. Well, media and, I mean, you've had exposure both with media, like in uh, press and the yeah. newspapers and things like that. The press can be cruel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've also had social media. So what you're really saying, I mean... We- you have to work a lot harder at media I'd say yeah although social media is is hard work but it's it's more you kind of just constantly um I'd 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 say it's more of a roller coaster of emotions in being in the media yeah although social media is hard too because you can people can sit behind a laptop and it's a it's a cake uh Facebook page but people still feel the need to be mean to me um so I think yeah it's all it's all hard but I would say the d- I've, I do find that um, the different types of social media, as in Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, yeah. have a very different feel to them. So Facebook, very much, if someone is mean to me on Facebook, on my cake yeah. page, um, people will uh, kind of jump in and defend me, whereas that doesn't happen on Twitter. And I don't know if that's maybe how the whole uh, social media works, but I'd say... I feel like Facebook is more of a community yes. and Twitter is more of a, a, a statement thing. Yes. Um, so it's, I mean, I can't get my head around it, to be Billy, honest. what do you think? Um, yeah, I would say the same when, when companies sort of say to me, how can we use Facebook, Twitter and Instagram f- to attract different people to come to our restaurants, say, um, I would say put something newsworthy on Twitter, you know, 50% off today, come and get it. With a f- and then on Instagram, put a beautiful photo that people want to go and try that food in the photo. And on Facebook, you know, it's more of a kind of family, a bit more interaction. Here's our staff party, some photographs. It's kind of, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is that people are getting more and more impatient. So that is almost definitely why Instagram is kind of soaring at the moment because... People can't be bothered to spend time writing long captions on Facebook or putting up a whole album of photos anymore. People want, you know, instantaneous recommendations. They want to just double-click and click through to the website and make a booking there and then, you know, so... It's fascinating. Jane, do you have any thoughts? What do you think is the purpose of social media today? (laughs) Well, I think think my um, more experienced panellists have already answered that, really. Um, That I think it... But I do think it depends very much on on who you are, what you're trying to achieve for yourself, and then who your audience is. So people are selecting themselves as audiences through the media that they pay attention to. Because one of the things that Um, I worry about with with social media, which I don't think was such a problem when we just had things like the press or less less media full stop, was that actually it's so self-selecting mm. that you're not able to get out and actually find out more. You, you, it sort of yeah. narrows your interest down yeah. more and more because you're in a like-minded group. Was actually yes. what you need are new things coming in. So somebody who loves one particular type of food, for example, mm. may never look at another site because they, yes. they don't well, have that. Mm. And, and Millie was saying something upstairs which I think is relevant to that because it's not just about the audience being too narrow-minded and not looking for things, but so many of the systems um, build ever more sophisticated algorithms that kind of narrow down your options as a user without you even really realizing it. So they will keep... It's like Amazon suggesting you buy basically the same book over and over again um, (laughs) because you bought one or you looked at a... DIY book once and suddenly they think oh she's going to be so interested in DIY Um, so they sort of are clever and yet they're quite stupid because they they keep they could keep pushing you to the the same things when the um, the communicators on this panel are not endlessly saying the same thing you know they're 
They've yeah. got different yeah. interests and different people. And do you find that the same find. With, with TV? With, when you go to a TV channel and they've had a successful type of programme, <laughs> do they want you to duplicate that type of programme again with I somebody th- else? I, I, think, I think that can be the case, but I also think that television has to work really, really hard now in this new world because people's attention spans are quite short. People need to think about a real commitment to an hour's TV show. I mean, you, you know, yeah. an hour is a long time. Yeah. And I thought what was interesting was the whole BBC4 slow TV kind of movement, which wasn't necessarily food, um, but, you know, going completely the opposite way. I mean, I've worked with um, ad agencies and they've said, you know, we've got to sell everything on, online within the first three or four seconds. You know, and you've got to get all the messages across because you've only got six seconds, haven't you, on, on certain social media that before it's gone. Wow. So, so you're trying to pack it all into six seconds. Whereas in television, you've got the, you've got the great thing is about storytelling and being able to unfold a narrative over half an hour or an hour. But when the audience is used to everything being instant and everything being fast, that's a big ask to attract them. Yeah. And you can see that in the television viewing figures going down. Having said that, when we've talked about the media of, the, of, of history, I don't think television's going to go away in the same way that books and newspapers and radio hasn't gone away. Yeah. It just needs to work out what its position is in the new world. And I think with food in particular, there is so much online and there is so much... Um, uh, available in social media, that's where I think it really does think, right, well, what else can we do? Yeah. Where else can we go? What's the unique thing that television can do in, in, a, in a food program that you can't do in six seconds or you can't do in one still? Yeah. But ultimately, it is about storytelling. It's just about uh, who is the audience and what is the story you're trying to tell and what's the medium for that? Yeah. yeah. And isn't it often just... It's, it's a, food really is... Um, a multi-sensory storytelling and historically for the sort of mass communication we'd be more restricted to words only and good words able to paint a picture then drawings then photographs you know and and now you know Instagram or whatever ways we have of of making things um, a visual story in the absence of you know social media that can waft a smell at us or um send us a, ta- a real taste of something. Mm. Um, so I, d- I don't know if there's more to come in the media, um, the media options on how to get more visuals over or well, I think there's already scratch a, and sniff or something. Already <laughs> a movement towards lots more video and, you know, with Instagram, developing Instagram stories and, you know, people just wanting to become more and more involved in people's lives and sort of wonder mm-hmm. what is going to be next, you know. Scary. <laughs> and, but also because, I mean, fall off of a lot of um, new forms of media is also higher because people get bored and then they're moving on to the next thing they think is fashionable. I think, you know, everyone needs, I mean, I'm particularly talking about Instagram, but every company sort of needs an Instagram page now, whether or not it's bringing in business. If you don't have an Instagram page and, you know, someone who's interested in that restaurant looks it up on Instagram and it's not there, people sort of forget about it it and think, you know, well, it's obviously not worthy of visiting because it hasn't yeah. got an Instagram page and therefore what's it all about and yeah. I can't be bothered. So. Yeah. I made the mistake of um, not having a ridiculously rich Facebook page when the final went out and someone created one and um, it got about 3,000 followers on the night of the final. Whoa. Yeah, which was quite frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But that was just my mistake what of not making one. What did you do? Did you have to buy it off them? Uh, no, we just changed the name of my Nana's page yeah. to Ridiculously Rich by Lana, so it was all fine. And um, it, that page is still out there. They're not doing That's crazy that you it. had to change your entire name because yeah. someone else had... Got there quick. Yeah. Yeah, and it's now, it's just like some cheesy picture of a cake, like a cartoon <laughs> picture of a cake. So it's still out there. <laughs> they just don't do anything. I think I found it, actually, because I, I had to Google all of you, of course, you know. Oh, Lana. no. <laughs> did you find mine? Yeah, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I did, yes. So... I mean, what advice would each of you give to someone starting out in a business? Um, I think be very aware that people are going to look you up online and make judgments. Um, So kind of look yourself up almost and create pages that you feel really represent what you're all about. Um, 
and you know don't go wild and just post things because in the spare of the moment you feel like it because actually if you are a business and you do want people to buy into you you have to be posting stuff that you know truly represents you and represents yeah. you well Alana what do you think what do you what advice would you give go on a reality tv show no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um I would so for me the most amazing thing that's come out of going on the apprentice is I've now got vision and I know what I'm trying to do with yeah. my business um I'm not trying to get into a supermarket or I'm not trying to go around every place myself I worked out a business model and I've got vision and I know where I'm trying to take my company I really want uh, ridiculously rich to be uh a, a known luxury cake brand um, but a fun fun luxury cake brand and I think that's really important to know where you're trying to get to because if you don't know where you're trying to get to yes. then you're not really ever going to get there so it doesn't really matter how you get there you just need to know where you're going I think there was another thing you said actually to me uh, which was that also to be yourself and mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good piece of advice because actually <laughs> at the end of the day you're creating something and you need to be always true to that it's the same as what you're saying you have to be true Otherwise, if, it, if it's a false identity, it's very hard later to sustain it, mm -hmm. I think. Pete, what would you say? I was going to say exactly the same thing, really, <laughs> that it's about authenticity and knowing what your story is. Yes. And I think that, you know, we've all, we probably all know people that uh, will buy a Mars bar and tweet a picture of it and get some likes. And, you know, it's just like... This, Ultimately, if you haven't got anything to say, don't say it, is what I would say. <laughs> Have something to say. Be very clear about what you want to say and, and channel your efforts into doing it brilliantly. Um, that would be my advice. I think the other thing I find very interesting is with, uh, I've noticed over time that there are some TV personalities who become almost a caricature of themselves. And I'm never quite sure whether it's them that are becoming a caricature of themselves, or whether it's actually the way they're being filmed and things that makes them sort of feel that they have to behave in a particular way. Do you, do you, what do you think? It kind of depends who you're talking about, <laughs> is what I say. I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm sure um, people know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but obviously, you know, television is produced in the same way that, uh, uh, you know, you, you produce your Instagrams. You've got to know what that story is that you're trying to tell. And also, you know, I don't like saying this, but different people are, are brands and yeah. got, they know their brand and they know what works for them. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got to sort of respect it, really, when, when people really know who they are and know... You know, the worst thing, the worst thing in the world, I think, is you're going to go on a TV show. There's a whole team of people, producers and directors, that turn up and they say, oh, can you do this and can you do that and can you stand on your head and can you drink a glass of water? And if you say yes, that's it. You're the one that's on telly. That's going around the world. That's what people remember you for. If you are true to yourself yeah. and say, sorry, I don't, I, I don't do that. This is, I will do this. Then yeah. you'll get it right. You might... Yeah. You might be rubbish. Your brand might be rubbish. You might not sell. But at least you've been true to yeah. who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've got the greatest of respect for the television talent in particular, but also, you know, social media talent that's got a very clear idea of who they are and what they're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's kind of how... So when I was in The Apprentice, it was... Um, they definitely had certain roles that they wanted to fill on the show. And... Um, I, I didn't want to fall into any of that. Yes. I just wanted to be myself. Yes. And uh, I didn't think it was going to work. Week two or three, I thought, well, being myself isn't going to work. So uh, I was obviously really happy that it went the way it did. But it's, um, I think people, they have like a set sort of structure for that show yeah. and for probably every TV Drama. show. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Well, it is time for questions. So... Uh, does anybody have any questions for any, any member of the panel? So we're sitting here talking about social media. And when it all began, it was social media. It was people having Facebook accounts and posting photos of their holidays for their friends to see. I would say it's really become business media. And it, it's really moved on hugely from that. Um, I just wonder what you feel about, about that. What do you feel about this whole business media thing, especially Alana, you know, do you kind of wish you didn't have to do all that and you could just focus on your business or do you believe that having this, all these media channels is what's going to take you forward? 
There's so many of them, though, so I feel like it's really hard to know which one's the right one, because I can't do everything. Um, I'd love to be able to do everything, and I suppose um, that's why the, the really large companies have got a person doing this and a person doing that. And um, Yes, it would be easier to not have to do these, all these things, but then I think I'd be going back to being that grafter who was just... Because that's what I was doing. I was just going out there and uh, working really hard and making a nice wage for myself, and now it's... Um, trying to grow a brand and there's so many different ways you can grow the brand and so many different ways you can get exposure that uh, yeah it's a hard one I it's it, it's a lot of work um, but I think if if you can get all of them right or a few of them right then it's great exposure for the brand so I think it's only been a good thing for me Jane do you think it's a, a phase that we're going through sort of more be, it's become commercial rather than personal or do you think it's something that's going to change again I I don't know. I, I think that um, I think it's it's always or it was ever thus that yes. um, that people um, who have something to say um, who there are lots of people who would have published a book a couple of hundred years ago who who didn't care if someone else read it or not. But I think most writers would. Um, so people do whatever they, w they can to, um, to use the, the media they've got to promote what they're doing. What they're doing. Um, and, and by having that authentic voice, then they're using the tools to get to the people they need they to need find. To do you feel that partly that they're not being true to themselves in the sense that it's a commercial thing, so therefore it's... Why should one believe in it? I think we all know, as, you, as you've said yourself, Alana, you've got to get somebody on board to do your social media. So as much as you are hoping that it will still be your personality, the fact is, it's not your message. You're not going to be writing those posts or posting. It's not a criticism, but it's a fact. Yeah. So, you know, back to television. Um, when, when I watch a Nigella on television, it is her. She is standing in that kitchen and she is doing whatever she's doing. But then when it's her Instagram account, I mean, she swears she does do that account herself, but you wonder. No one does their social media themselves once they get to no. a certain point. I, I know a lot of people that have a business account and a personal account. I yeah. think that's kind of yeah. the main oh, way to get around it. You have the personal account to share pictures of your friends and interact with people you want to interact with. And then you have a business account to use it to your advantage, really. And, you know, people who don't decide to use it to advantage, well, that's sort of silly yeah. because it, you can gain so much from it. Well, and from the audience point of view, I'm not sure how much it actually matters because you're choosing to, to look at these things or not. You're looking for them yes. or not. So um, if it's to someone's business advantage, then why not? Good luck to you them. Want to say something, you? <laughs> I was just going to say, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen next because I think that we've lived through the the birth of all these social yeah. media. And what was really brilliant about it was that it was pretty democratic at the beginning. Somebody in their bedroom can film something on a, on a phone, put it online, get lots of followers. And I wonder whether we've moved beyond that democratic stage now where it is getting harder and harder to get a number of followers. And because of the algorithms, like, you know, you've liked this, so you will like this, I wonder whether gradually people are going to get channeled narrower and narrower in terms of brands and 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 you know it really does become commercial mm. whereas at its core it's a very democratic media and yeah. i wonder whether over the next few years whether that democracy of it will disappear because it will be really hard to suddenly get 80,000 my theory is it's going to get so boring at that stage that somebody else will create something else. Well, it's all linked together again. That's what I'm hoping. But, uh... but then people always come up with things. I don't know if anyone else um, in the room is a, a fan of the chicken connoisseur. Um, it's you, the most fabulous YouTube channel. Um, a guy who has a, a, a show that he chicken? makes called yeah. The Pengist Munch, where he goes and reviews chicken shops around London because he thought, you know... All, there are all these gastronomic people talking about fancy restaurants who's reviewing my food and my people's food. Um, and, you know, he's got millions of, of views. Chicken and, fans. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and people who are just perhaps a little bit jaded about some of the other kinds of, of social media exposure and see that as something fresh yeah. and different yeah. and 
playing, playing, um, playing with the medium and and playing with the the social striation really of of who does what for well, whom. More questions. So uh, okay, we've got uh, right. Oh right, <laughs> got four altogether at least. Okay. De- definitely would recommend looking up the chicken connoisseur, by the way, on YouTube. <laughs> um, so, so I'm probably at the risk of making myself very unpopular by saying this, but I still believe that word-of-mouth marketing is the most powerful form of marketing. And often I find with media, actually, you're just backing up what somebody else has said. So I might follow or we'll see or be exposed to something awareness box ticked. But actually, the purchasing decision, I think word-of-mouth is... is probably still, even in, in today's world, the main still driver. Thing. I really do believe that, um, personally. I could be wrong. How many of you believe that? That what, sorry? I, I, love, the, I love that idea, but I, I just think people are speaking to each other less and less and communicating over computers and phones. So mm. word of mouth is not so Forget frequent. It, it's a funnel, right? It's a funnel, so it's not happening one or the other. I'm just sort of... Yes. But, but what, what, where I... Do, and this is kind of my... Where I do think social media and media comes in is when you get that recommendation and then you go and search up that person and you quickly look at that, you know, you scroll through all of their content, almost like a database of them on the internet, like you were saying about what... what look, look yourself up what's out there. So how do you create something then authentically? Because at the risk of manu- sort of manufacturing, I mean, I think authentic um, content is more and more rare because you're seeing people copy you know other people and then also you're at the risk it's interesting it sounds like what's happened to your business model I found that really interesting what you said about how it changed because really you're becoming a media company you know if you start at the baseline you want to create a brand the bare minimum that you do is create a logo and a story the maximum that you do is invest hugely in engagement across all these different channels and at that end of the spectrum you're basically a media company I so i would say for me um obviously the media is what um shot me into people's minds but the whole part of this of the business model going forward is that um Yeah, it is word of mouth because I've got an ambassador in every county. Well, I've taken on 20 initially. um, And that ambassador believes fully in my products um, and they know that they're delicious and they are creating their own social media page. And from that, they're shouting about it in their area. They're able to sell at food festivals and farmers markets just like I did um, with my products. And then they're also able to sell to cafes and delis. but they're the, they're the word of mouth in that area and they can tell all their friends and family in that area. And I completely, I completely agree with you. Um, there's only so much that, like I said, the, the media is fickle. There's only so much it can do for me and I've got to take it from here. And I believe in my products and my ambassadors believe in my products. So it is shouting about it um, through those people. And social media is important to keep people interested in, in what I'm doing. But those people are more important than my social media. So should we have another question, actually? There's, uh, oh, so Claire, where do you want to go next? There's, there's two here and one there. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm curious about the position that you have about the power of hashtags. And it seems to have gone bananas now that people are putting tons and tons of hashtags to the point that Instagram's even limited since I crashed it um, to 30 hashtags that you could put on a post. <laughs> And I'm wondering how you think the public is using those hashtags or if they really have value. Um, I I personally don't really have a problem with hashtags. I think if, I mean, it's good that you can't do more than... Um, It's good that you can't do more than 30 because then the whole page would be filled up with them. But it's just another way of of getting people to see your, um, your pictures on Instagram. And it's kind of putting them into themes so that you're targeting the people that are seeing them. Um, I think when it becomes a problem is when everyone uses the same hashtag and there's just thousands and thousands of photos and people use hashtags in the wrong way. So if you're posting a food photo and someone, you know, uses a hashtag that they think is going to get lots of people in, but it's completely unrelated, I think that's, you know, that's a shame and that will annoy people. Um, But yeah, if you're using it in the right way, then, you know, it's just another way of drawing people into your page. Should we move on to another question then? Uh, who's on the front here? Hello, I was going to ask you a question, Pete, about brands on television, because it's not long since it's been allowed that you can actually see the name of a brand or a product. 
And I wondered if um, brands approach you or if, whether it's the chefs that say, I only use this type of butter or whatever, or how that actually works in the end and if it's paid for coverage. It's a huge topic, yeah. so I'll try and be precise. So generally speaking, the Ofcom rules are that you can't give undue prominence to anything. There can be no negotiation over a product going on screen. Aside to that is product placement, which is a relatively new rule. And in those circumstances, again, there's a really tight set of rules about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. In those instances, yes, companies are paying to have their product on television, but it's a collaboration between quite a lot of people, you know, in terms of an ad agency, a broadcaster wanting to have a product placement show. And the rules are believe it or not, even more complicated on a product placement show than they are on, on a not. So you can pay to have a product placed, but it cannot be a form of advertising. So somebody can't say it's a good product. You can see it, but you can't say it's good. I think in terms of other things, the, the non-product placement shows, it's much more about, um, yes, undue prominence, really. And I think it's much harder on a product. I mean, we all know that the um, appliances... It's very hard. The way that the logos are placed, it's practically impossible not to get those in shot. But I guarantee there's hardly a program goes by without a commissioner saying, can we blur that? Can we change the shot? Can we tighten it in slightly? Can we shoot it in a slightly different way? So that, that's a constant kind of battle. And then I think that I tend to do shows where there aren't really that many brands seen. And if you do see one, it kind of jumps out um, amongst everything so it's it's quite hard really i think um getting a real understanding of what the ofcom rules are is a good starting point and then um you know working with the producers to try and uh, f find a way but the rules are very clear in terms of no negotiation you cannot influence the editorial in any way otherwise the broadcaster and the produ producer is going to be um, breaking the Ofcom rules and, and you know, could get fined. So it's, it, from a program maker, it's really not worth it for the price of a packet of butter. You know. Thank you. So we've got time for one more question. Uh, okay, so one over there. Hi there. I've got a small stored-up business here uh, locally in Wandsworth uh, called Superbox Organic. We make healthy after-school snacks for primary school children in the surrounding boroughs. Just started recently on a very, very tight budget, shoestring really. Um, I love, Alana, your idea about doing the ambassadors. Um, I've got a great product that my customers love. I've got um, a lot of repeats already, but it's still very small. Trying to grow it. Is there any other tips that you have for a guy like me who's trying to start up something like this, using social media, who knows nothing about social media, on a very tight budget? <laughs> To be honest, I think I probably was in the same boat. I didn't really know anything about social media. Um, and the business model that I'm doing going forward is something that's never really been done with food before. It's kind of like, I don't like using this reference because it's not really like it, but it's the easiest way to explain it. It's like Avon, um, and it's not really been done with food. So I struggle to give people advice because I've just done what I've done. Um, and so maybe if it works, just copy what I did. Give it a go, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I just ask Millie if she has any thoughts on that? Obviously, if I wanted to buy you, it would cost me a packet, I'd imagine, but is there, <laughs> is there a cheaper way? Um, I would say if you don't want to spend any money on it, um, spend time on social media, interacting with like-minded people, uh, getting in, well, not getting in touch, but just kind of being, making people aware of you on social media. You know, I think people think that you can put up a pretty picture, put a few good hashtags on, and then it will just fly. But you actually really have to spend, you know, I spend at least an hour a day liking other people's photos, searching and, you know, interacting with people who... I think will like my brand and, and kind of going about it that way. And it does grow gradually. You know, you comment on one person's photo and then you notice that they've, you know, commented on yours and a few of their followers have come over and it does grow gradually. <laughs> I, I was just going to say another thing that I find useful in terms of television is not using social media to say something, but using social media to listen to what people are saying. And I think one of the things we use in research all the time in television, if you go into an advanced search in Twitter and you put in some key words, it could be 
healthy children's meals or something, you'll suddenly get introduced to a whole community of people that are tweeting about healthy children's meals, and they're the people that then you want to sort of contact. And so if we're looking for somebody that, to be in a TV show that's been in Borough Market in the last 24 hours, do an advanced Twitter search, put it to the last three days, put Borough Market in, refine your search geographically so that it's within a certain demographic and suddenly you've got introduced to all these people and that's how you can use social media for your own marketing and for your own research without actually saying anything. That you just you find people that can then do the work for you. That's what I would say. There's a thing called Likestagram. Have you heard of that? So it's basically uh, does that for you just automatically. You just pay for it. Uh, I don't use it. I did on my, on my personal one for a bit. And it basically just goes uh, and finds people that they think would be interested in your stuff and likes their pictures. But I did this um, around the beginning of The Apprentice. And so then I had loads of people starting to message me like, oh my God, you're in The Apprentice and you've just liked my thing. And, and it was like some like 15-year-old kid and I'm like, I can't be liking their thing. So, um, but if you, you have to be so that, careful with those yeah, things because you have no control over it. You know, they could be liking all kinds of stuff on yeah. your behalf and suddenly, you know, you don't know where you're at. That's yeah, I don't use it anymore. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah. um, sadly, that's all we've got time for. But hopefully you'll be able to um, ask more questions if you go. I know there was one more question there, so maybe ask with drinks. Um, just a few more words. Obviously, there's gorgeous food to eat now, along with some free alcohol and drink. There's uh, Caribbean soul food. Um, we've got delicious cheesy delights out there as well and also um, I think quite a few of you might like two of the books that are over there which uh, one of which is by Millie um, which is the uh, Cornwall travel book and the other one is Pete's which is dig this food allotment cookbook and they're both great books so do have a look because you can buy them if you want and get them signed and do feel free to come and chat to people afterwards if you want as well so thank you very much for being a great audience and thank you my panel thanks for listening to the Borough Market podcast the next Borough Talk is on Tuesday the 13th of June from 7 to 9pm and we'll be focusing on the parent trap, the challenges of children's food. Check out boroughmarket.org.uk for more information and to get your tickets and also to subscribe to the podcast where you can hear the whole debate for free. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.